Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles, please, and open once again to the New Testament book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 14. We're studying verse by verse through this great gospel, and we come today to verses 7 through 15. The title of today's message, Delayed Exaltation and Deferred Compensation. Now, last Sunday, we had a wonderful time sharing the Lord's table together. We also jumped back into this verse-by-verse study of Luke, and we picked up last week at the beginning of chapter 4, which gives the account of a Sabbath day luncheon that Jesus attended that was held in the home of a prominent member of a religious group called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees had no great love for Jesus. In fact, it's likely that Jesus was invited to this function because they were looking for a way to catch him in a sin. Evidence for that theory is that right in our Lord's sight line, where he was seated, was placed a man who had a condition known as dropsy. That is, he had fluid that had accumulated in his tissues, likely because of some serious underlying ailment of his internal organs. And you remember it was the Sabbath, and a day that the Pharisees practiced a unique form of legalism on. They were baiting Jesus to heal the man so they could accuse him of breaking the Sabbath laws. But Jesus, of course, saw through their ruse and turned the tables, asking them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, they didn't answer. So Jesus answered for them with a rebuke. He said, which one of you, having a son or an ox fall in the well, would not rescue him on the Sabbath? The rebuke was clear. The Pharisees were hypocrites, giving themselves lots of room for nuance in the law and condemning others. And in the process, they had lost sight of God's love for man. They cared more about their oxen, their personal property, than their fellow man. Well, Jesus did heal the man and then told him to leave. Jesus was not through with Pharisees. So that's where we pick up the story here in verse 7, chapter 14. Let's read through verse 15. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guest when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you will both will come and say to you, give your place to the man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a function or a luncheon, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now the Bible describes the ministry of Jesus in terms of three offices. 
that of prophet and priest and king. And in this passage, Jesus is obviously speaking prophetically. A prophet is one who delivers a message from God to the people. And one of the techniques that Jesus often used to deliver His prophetic messages was that of parables. Now parables are simple stories or metaphors which use common everyday earthly language, but they convey a deep, divine, heavenly truth. In these verses, Jesus has a message first for the guest that had been invited to the luncheon. He has a message secondly for the host of the luncheon. And finally, there's a message for all of us here today. So let's begin with the message to the guest. Verse 7, he began speaking a parable to the uninvited guest, to the invited guest rather. And then he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say, give your place to this man. Then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. Now Jesus noticed that they were picking out the places of honor. That's no surprise. I told you last week that the reason that the Pharisees loved to get together on social occasions was not simply for fellowship, but it was an opportunity for them to move up in their minds up the social ladder. And so what would happen? You'd have a prominent person, such as the one mentioned here in John 14, would give an invitation for a luncheon or a dinner or party, and you would come. And the closer you sat to the host at the table, the more honor you got. The closer you would be to other people of influence. And so the host ultimately decided who was to sit where. But it was all quid pro quo. If you gave an honor, you were expected to give that in return. You, you owe me honor. And the Pharisee, uh, the entire sect of Pharisees had become really a mutual admiration society. And so Jesus is sitting back. He's watching these hypocritical Pharisees jockeying for the best seats at the table. And he addresses it with a parable. In this case, it was a less of a story and more of a hypothetical situation in which they were very familiar. And Jesus uh, doesn't go very far from reality with this hypothetical. He says, uh, when you're invited to a wedding feast. Now they had been invited to a luncheon. But he takes it outside of the luncheon and says, we're invited to a wedding feast. Now, a wedding feast would have been a more formal occasion. It's a place where wealth and hospitality are lavished. It's a great place, in other words, if you're a Pharisee, to make political hay. And so he says, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't take the seat of honor. Take the lowest seat. Now, that would have arrested their attention immediately. Because they were in the middle of elbowing one another out of the way to try to get to the seat nearest their host at this luncheon. And Jesus stops them and says, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't do that. Go sit at the lowest seat. And he says, here's why. Now, before we tell you why, that teaching would be consistent with Jesus, wouldn't you say? To be humble, to be meek, to think of others more highly than yourself. Of course, it was. But then he says, the reason you're to sit at the lowest seat is so that when you are called to move higher, you will receive honor. Now get the picture. You, you go into uh, a wedding seat, a wedding feast, and you seat at the farthest table back, and the host sees you there and goes, hey, you don't need to sit way back there. Come sit by me. And then the spotlight's on you, and everybody notices how you're being treated, and suddenly you go up on the social ladder. Now that part of the story seems very strange to our ears. If we didn't know this was a parable, which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, 
we might conclude that Jesus was endorsing the Pharisees' little system of self-promotion and really teaching them how to be more effective hypocrites, as one pastor has said. But because we know this is a parable, and by the way, how do we know? Jesus told them a parable, according to Luke. We're told right away it's a parable. We, we, we know that this is something that has a deeper meaning. So he's not speaking about table etiquette. He was speaking about the kingdom of God. He is speaking, in other words, about delayed exaltation. Note, Jesus is not rebuking the Pharisees for wanting approval and honor. He's rebuking them that they are settling for the approval and the honor of men, which is temporary and fleeting and ultimately does not satisfy. Because the Bible says there is a greater approval and a higher honor to pursue, and that is the approval of Almighty God. And there are greater rewards than earthly rewards, and those are treasures in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. You see, the Pharisees wanted their honor and their approval in the here and now. And if they got it, that is all that they would get. Jesus told a similar story about giving of alms to the poor, or even fasting. Don't sound a trumpet. Don't draw attention to yourself because all the honor you're going to get is in the here and now if you do that. That's all the Pharisees thought about. Now, ostensibly, they were people who believed in the resurrection. They believed in an afterlife. And yet, they are living as if there is no afterlife. They are living for the here and now. Jesus says that a better way is humility now, exaltation later. That's called delayed exaltation. Friends, he is speaking about an entirely different way of living than the Pharisees knew anything about. And an entirely different way of living that they were incapable of without the miracle of regeneration. That's why Jesus told one of those Pharisees, a man by the name of Nicodemus, as recorded in John chapter 3, you must be what? Born again. He doesn't say you have to try harder to be humble. He doesn't say you, you've got to pull your boots on a little tighter. He says you've got to be born again. This is a whole new way of living. And this is the message to the guest at the party. Delay your exaltation. And so now, having said that to the party guest, he turns his attention to the one who threw the party, the host. Look at verse 12, the message to the host. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the message to the host. Jesus understood that and that was what was in the hearts of men more than anyone. But we are limited, aren't we, as humans, to what we can observe with our senses. Jesus knows not only our actions, but our very motives. That's why the Bible says that man judges on outward appearances, but God judges the heart. Now here's the thing. We can see what people do and how they behave. But the truth is, people do good and benevolent things for all sorts of reasons. Not all of them noble. Some people give away lots of money 
so they can write it off on their taxes. Some people serve the poor, but only when there's a camera around to record it. Some of you are praying for those friends on the East Coast right now who are facing the possibility of a hurricane making landfall. I encourage you to pray for those people. Because we remember around here, don't we, the effects of a hurricane. Many years ago when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, our church was called upon to house over 200 refugees from that city. And it has changed our church forever. I remember while those 200 people were living in our gymnasium and it uh, was all-encompassing. It took everyone 24 hours a day to make that happen. That during that period, we had a lot of politicians and televangelists who showed up to give us money to help those people or to shake hands with those people. But I noticed they were only here when the cameras were on. Now, the Lord knows their hearts. I don't. He'll judge them, not me. But it seems that's what Jesus is getting at with the Pharisees. They were known for their altruism. They were known for their piety, but it seems that their motive was to be noticed by men. Nothing has changed. They would throw dinner parties, but it was not because they wanted to be a blessing to their neighbors or friends. It was because they expected reciprocation. They knew they would have to get something in return. Jesus teaches, again, a fundamentally different worldview than that. Jesus says, when you throw a party, invite those who can't reciprocate. The poor, the crippled, the outcast. Now, why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say to invite those sorts of people instead of the up and in? Well, I think it's clear from the whole of Scripture, for the glory of the Father. Jesus said, let your good deeds so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the purpose of our good works. Not for a tax write-off, not for a photo op, not so that you can hold other people to reciprocate you so that they may see your good deeds and bring glory to the Father. Now, I don't think this is taken to be a prohibition against gathering with friends and relatives. Jesus knows we're going to do that. In fact, Jesus did that. Jesus did that regularly. He took meals with his inner circle of friends, the disciples. The point is, don't limit yourself to just your friends and family members. That is, be a blessing to those who can't return the favor. Very similar thing is said by Jesus' brother James in his epistle, James 1.27. He says, Pure and undefiled religion before God is this, to visit the orphans and the widows, those who can't reciprocate, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Well, speaking of Hurricane Katrina, a lot of you were not here then as I look around. And you need to hear the story from time to time. I have often said that Hurricane Katrina was one of the best things that ever happened to this church. Now, don't get me wrong. I would not wish another hurricane on anyone. But I can tell you what came out of that is this church and its members started looking outward more than inward after that. We, we started being more generous as individuals and as a church body. And we started having a bigger picture of God's care for all people. And again, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I am thankful for those days because 
anything that God uses, even painful providence, to bring him closer to himself is something worth thanking him for. I have a friend who's starting a sermon series today on the book of Hosea. And if you've ever read that book, you know it's full of pain and grief. And yet the summary of Hosea is found in chapter 6, verse 1, which says, The Lord has torn us, and yet He bandages us. Sometimes God allows painful things into our lives, like hurricanes, so that He may show Himself great and strong and sanctify us and build us up so that we will be more useful in His eyes. And so this hurricane that's coming to the East Coast, if nothing else, will be a great opportunity for people to give and serve other people for the glory of God. And so what we're talking about now is deferred compensation. We talked earlier about delayed exaltation. You can either be exalted now or humbled at the judgment, or you can humble yourself now and you will be exalted at the judgment. It's your choice. And so here is the ultimate compensation. Look what he says. He says, for you will be repaid. That is, if you invite the poor, the crippled, the outcast, those who can't give you compensation, if you do it simply for the glory of God, you will receive compensation. He says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Remember the Pharisees, at least outwardly, believed in a literal bodily resurrection. That's what separated them from the Sadducees, who were the religious liberals. Now when I think of the deferred compensation, the first thing I think about is Bobby Bonilla. Now many of you won't remember Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla was a very famous baseball player for the Pittsburgh Pirates back in the 1990s. And uh, he, along with a guy named Barry Bonds, were two up-and-coming stars. And they had some very good years, but uh, as baseball players tend to do, they get paid for what they used to do rather than what they're capable of doing now. And so when he came to the end of his career, he had made millions of dollars. He'd played for 16 years. He gets traded to the New York Mets, and he's horrible. He hits under 200 had just a few home runs, and he stayed hurt all the time. And it was very obvious that Bobby Bonilla was done. He was too old. His career was over. But he still had one more year left on his contract, and they owed him nearly $6 million. Well, if you know anything about baseball contracts, they are guaranteed. The moment you sign your name, you are guaranteed that whether you can play or not. And Bobby Bonilla knew that. And so the owner needed that $6 million to hire a younger pitcher. He thought he was one pitcher away from going to the World Series. And so he goes to Bobby Bonilla's agent, and they said, let's work out a deal. I need this cash now. Bobby's at the end of his career. Let's put that money in an annuity, and I will guarantee him a rate of 8%. And do you know what happens? He took it. It's one of the greatest deals anyone's ever made. Because Bobby Bonilla hasn't played baseball in nearly 20 years, and every year on July the 1st, he gets a check in the mail for $1.2 million. And he will until he's 72 years old. Why? Because he deferred his compensation. He could have taken a lump sum, and likely he would have spent it all and been broke. But he took wise counsel from someone who knew better, and he said, why don't you delay that compensation Wait a little while, and it will be worth way more in the future. Well, friends, 
the story of Bobby Bonilla is trite compared to anything Jesus could say, but it's really the same concept. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you can take your compensation now in the forms of pats on the back and attaboys and, and a higher level or higher rung on the social economic ladder, or you can not let your right hand know what you're doing. You can entrust your life to an all-seeing God, and He will reward you at the resurrection of the righteous. He's saying you can be paid now or you can be paid later. He is talking simply, friends, about laying up treasure in heaven. The Bible says, don't lay up treasures here. Why? Because it'll be gone. Thieves can break in and steal it. Moths can destroy it. Rust can corrode it. But lay up yourself treasure in heaven where God protects it. He's talking about investing in the kingdom of God. He's talking about eternal rewards. And, and here's the amazing fact. It's obvious in verse 15 that at least some of the Pharisees got his meaning. They understood it. Look at verse 15. He says, when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He knew he wasn't talking about wedding feast and dinner parties. He was talking about God's judgment. And that is, thirdly and finally, his message to all of us. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. This message is in verse 15 and has not come from the lips of Jesus rather than one of the guests. He got it. He understood first that Jesus was not teaching them a shrewder way to operate as a Pharisee. He was not giving them etiquette lessons. He was teaching them about heaven and about how those who are going to spend eternity live their lives now. You see, the Pharisees had excellent theology about the resurrection, but they lived for the here and now. What about you? I expect most of you who grew up in Baptist churches or have been attending a while believe in heaven and hell. You understand that the only ones going to heaven are those who bow their knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, those whose sins have been forgiven. You understand that you can't work your way there. You can't do enough good deeds to make up for your bad deeds. He's not talking about doing more good deeds. But as we observe the evangelical church at large, it seems that so many claiming to believe in heaven are living their lives for the here and now. And if we live our lives for the here and now, what we can get from it, I can guarantee you two things. One, that's all that you're going to get as far as rewards. And two, it will not ultimately satisfy. Many of you have followed, I suppose, with some interest, the story of Jeffrey Epstein, who was a multi-billionaire investor who had private planes in a private island, and he wined and dined women all over the world. From a human and earthly standpoint, he had everything. And yet, not long ago, he took his own life in a jail cell in New York City. And when the media tries to explain 
the life and times and tragic death of Jeffrey Epstein, some of them say, well, he was greedy. He wanted too much. He overindulged, and that was his downfall. And I say every time I hear that, wrong! The problem with Jeffrey Epstein and everyone like him is not that they wanted too much, it's that they settled for too little. He settled for what this world could offer him. Illicit sex, lavish luxury, people telling him how wonderful he was, and when it all fell apart, tragically, he had nothing else. All the exaltation he ever would receive was behind him, and he realized that, and he couldn't bear it. This is the warning of Jesus to the Pharisees. He saw them living that same way on a much smaller scale. They were living for the applause of man and the approval of one another. And Jesus says you ought to live for an audience of one, God. And you ought to seek His approval. And He said it like this in another passage, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. But you don't have to be a multi-billionaire to live your life that way. You can live that way right here in Keller, Texas. You can live that way while every Sunday singing Amazing Grace. You can have Jesus on your lips and the world in your heart. My question to you is, is, is what about you? Do you live for the here and now? If you do, it will never satisfy. But I can also say with ultimate confidence, if you live your life for eternity, you will never be disappointed. That's not to say you won't have a hard time here. But for eternity, you will be with the Lord forever. This is what he says. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. So how can you be one of those people? Well, Scripture says it's by faith alone. John 3.16, remember I said Jesus was speaking to one of those Pharisees, Nicodemus. He told him you must be born again. But he also told him this, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him. He didn't give Nicodemus another list of rules to keep. He had all those he could bear. Whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. James comes along years later, Jesus' brother, and he's converted and inspired by the Holy Spirit. He, he says that faith without works is dead. Here's how those two things work together. We are not saved by our works. But our works, the way we treat other people, the way we use our money, the way we order our days, reflects if our faith is real or not. We work because of our faith in Christ. Not for a photo opportunity, not for a tax write-off. We do our good deeds so that men may observe them and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Because people who are born again have an entirely different world view. They are no longer living their lives for the here and now. They are living their lives for the glory of God. They're no longer simply laying up treasure here on earth, trying to have an easy retirement. They are forwarding it ahead. They are investing in eternity and trusting that God will be their reward. And I pray that everyone in this room is living your life like that. Because if not, the only reward you'll ever receive 
is in the here and now, and it will never satisfy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for your word, and it is very clear. And Jesus uses some very familiar situations to describe two very different ways of living life. On one hand, you have the Pharisees who are living like most people today for what they can get out of the here and now, for how high they can climb the corporate ladder, for how much attention they can draw to themselves in the here and now. But Jesus says that's a foolish way to invest. They settled for way too little. Instead of delaying their exaltation, they took it now and that's all they're ever gonna get. A better way is to humble yourself now and be exalted for eternity. Father, I'm thankful that Jesus showed us the way. According to Philippians chapter 2, he said, Let this mind or attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself. He put others first. Because of that, you have exalted him. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess of things in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that He is King of kings and Lord of lords to the glory of God the Father. Father, you tell us in Ephesians that you have exalted us to be seated with Him in the heavenly places when we put our faith and trust in Him. Help us never to settle for too little. Help us never to settle for the baubles and trinkets that this life can afford. Help us never to settle for the mutual admiration society that is this country, but that we would live for an audience of one and that we would seek to live our lives in such a way that he would be glorified. Because we're promised that when we do, we will be rewarded at the resurrection of the righteous. Lord, we long to hear, well done, good and faithful servants. We pray these prayers in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.